five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are you doing on this lovely Tuesday morning? And couldn't be more excited because it's on top of us now. I mean, the countdown is basically over because SEC Media Day starts next week, and then uh, that's going to take up the whole week. And then when that week is over, uh, NFL training camp's open. So that'll be a fun diversion for a week uh, just to do NFL training camp's opening. And then the week after that is when Alabama starts football practice. So, uh yeah, I mean it's uh it's here now. It, it yeah, it's officially here, man. And I have gotten this question a lot. We got it on the board, I think, last night, yesterday. Uh, so I'll go ahead and address it here for anybody that listens. But as far as we know, the expectation is that we're going to be back at practice once fall camp opens up. Now things can change. Obviously, that's not a for sure thing. We haven't gotten anything official from Alabama, but. Just from people that I've talked to who would be in the know, they say they think we're trending in that direction. So expect us at training camp, or uh, training camp, uh, fall camp, and also expect coverage from practices and stuff it, from the little bit that we get to see for now. And then if anything changes on that front, I get told otherwise, we'll let everybody know. But today, we're going to be starting the position previews. We actually intended to start this last week wasn't able to make that happen so we're going to double up this week typically what's going to happen is we're, we're doing like some position weeks one offensive position one defensive position every week leading up to you know fall camp this week we're doing the wide receivers and the cornerbacks but last week we started with the quarterbacks and the outside linebackers i kind of did the complementary positions corner wide receiver they cover you know go against each other quarterbacks and then the guys who get after the quarterbacks the most and the outside linebackers linebackers running backs offensive line defensive line stars and safeties and then the tight ends because they're covering them a lot so that's kind of how we split it up and we'll be doing that over the next several weeks but this week we're doubling up and we're going to be doing two episodes one's going to have quarterbacks outside linebackers the other's going to have cornerbacks and wide receivers and then from that point moving forward starting next week it'll be one podcast per position and kind of break it up to where you guys are getting two per week consistently. But we're also going to be talking about Dylan Lonergan, who committed yesterday, the four-star quarterback, the second Alabama quarterback commit in the 2023 class. And really, that's where we'll get started, and then we'll get into those position previews. So, Jimmy, just kind of give me your thoughts on Dylan Lonergan and not only him as a prospect, but also what you think it means for Alabama's you know 2023 class and their 2023 roster. He's like literally a perfect second quarterback. And by that, I mean, usually, you know, when you take a second quarterback, you're taking someone who didn't have a lot of great options. You're taking somebody that just impressed you in camp and some kid somewhere is deciding they would rather be the backup quarterback at Alabama than the starting quarterback at, at Miami of Ohio. Uh, that's usually what happens, you know, when you take two these days. Yet Lonergan is, is a QB1, and what I mean by that is, I mean, he'd be the first quarterback almost anywhere, including Alabama. I think, Clint, if he didn't play uh, baseball and was focused solely on football, uh, he could have literally gone basically anywhere. And, and had he gone to Alabama, you know, and, and Alabama only needed one, he was good enough for that. I mean, th this is just a QB1. He's a QB2, I think solely because of his uh, commitment to playing baseball, which was real important to him, and that's fine. 
that sort of makes him in my mind second fiddle to Holstein because so much of the offseason Dylan's going to you know focus on baseball and, and not not becoming a better football player but it makes him a great guy to be on your bench if he's not starting because first of all he's very polished when you watch him play he looks like a guy that's been coached extremely well for a long time uh his dad was a quarterback he's just kind of grown up around it uh so I, I think you know if if you, you know your quarterback gets hurt and, and Lonergan comes off the bench I mean that that's great I mean he's going to be ready he is going to be ready he will need less prep less practice time less 365 day year commitment simply because of his his makeup so I think this is just a home run for Alabama, and yes, pun intended with the baseball uh, in 30 you know, seconds on that. I mean, for as good of a day it was for Nick Saban to get a second quarterback of this quality, it was an even better day for Brad Bohannon, who uh, doesn't have to spend any scholarship money and now has this kid falling out of the sky into his lap, uh, and he'll be one of the most talented players on the baseball team. He's a talented pitcher. He's also a talented hitter. He could be even be a two-way player in, in college. He could pitch and hit on the days he's not pitching. I mean, that's how good he is at baseball. So, uh, yeah, this is this is just great, a great pickup for Alabama, and it helps the recruiting rankings for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. And Kyler Murray, for the longest time, it seemed like he was trending towards Major League Baseball or being a baseball player professionally, and then things change. When you have enough success on the football field, he ultimately decided, hey, that's where I want to go. And he ended up being the number one overall pick. He gave up baseball. And, you know, that could be something that ends up happening with Dylan Lonergan at some point in his career. You know, he could go every season that he ever plays at Alabama and plays baseball every year that he's there. You know, or he could maybe, if quarterback's not necessarily working out, maybe he starts to shift focus to baseball exclusively. If football is working out, it's always possible that he could shift focus, you know, exclusively to football. We don't know. But it's just we've seen this a lot where guys show up wanting to play two sports and then by the end of their careers, they're only doing one. I will say when it comes to him being a baseball player, I can remember, and I'm sure other people have heard this same thing. It's just this is personal experience for me. And I think I've told this story before or at least, you know, this meeting. But back when I was in high school, uh, William Ming, who was a four-star prospect, one of my best friends in high school, where he's going through the recruiting process we go and talk to Saban and we're sitting in his office and he's talking about tons of different things. I've got tons of stories that I could tell people from just that one meeting that I thought was pretty cool. But one of them was, you know, William played baseball. He was more of a DH big body guy, but he could, you know, he could build some home runs. He'd actually just hit like the game winning home run to send Athens to the playoffs. I think like the day before or two days before. And so uh, coach Saban was asking about that. And he started talking about baseball and how important it is to him when he sees that a guy plays baseball and football, because from his, first of all, he loves dual sport athletes. He thinks guys that are doing things pretty much year round and you got to focus on mastering different things and the focus you got to put towards it. But also the reason I think he preferred baseball as that second sport is how much it, it takes its toll on you mentally and how mentally right. tough you have to be in order to be able because you're having, to, you know, it's the definition of consistency. You know, you, you have routine things that you're doing every single day and you have to do it to perfection every single time to be successful in baseball. And there's a lot of failure involved. I mean, the best hitters in baseball strike out, you know, not necessarily strike out, but don't get on base seven out of 10 times. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of failure involved. And he was just kind of talking about how important that was for him with Dylan Lonergan being a quarterback and also playing baseball. 
you would think you're getting a pretty mentally tough guy. So that's something that I always think about anytime somebody's playing both sports and, and they commit, whether it be to Alabama or anybody else. I remember that story from Coach Saban, but as far as Lonergan, the prospect, I really, I like that. I think he should be higher as well. I want to say that ESPN is the only recruiting service that has him ranked in the top 100. And I think they have him pretty high. I want to say he's borderline top 50 or 60. And then the rest of them have him outside of the top 100. But he is the number 86 overall prospect, number nine quarterback. Good build. Uh, not really an overly tall guy. Didn't have a lot of, you know, height. Uh, he's definitely not Eli Holstein being 6'4", but he's very stout. He's thickly built. He's got plenty of mobility. And I know that we've made a lot of comparisons for Eli Holstein to Andrew Luck. I'm not saying Dylan, Dylan Lonergan is Andrew Luck. Uh, but I am saying, if you remember, when Luck, you know, he had plenty of mobility. He was an athlete, but he was not a run-first quarterback. That was not his goal. But any time he decided to take off with the football, maybe because he was under pressure or he had to, he did a very good job of make, you know, punishing defenders and making them pay for having him run the football. He's a very physical runner. I see that from Dylan Lonergan as well. Love the arm strength. Uh, I love the fact, and I mentioned this yesterday in the piece that Joseph Hastings wrote, I love the fact that he understands when to use it. You can have a cannon all you want to, but if that's if you know one speed when throwing the football, you don't know how to throw with touch and, and accuracy as well, knowing when to use your arm strength to fit it into certain windows, when to lay off a little bit, then that's only going to take you so far. I think Lonergan's got a great feel for how to play the position, and I think he's got a great command of the offense. I really like this guy as a prospect. Oh, absolutely, and uh, all those reasons. And, I, again, I, I think he's – ready i mean somebody else said this first so i'm kind of stealing it but but only because they said it first but it's completely obvious holstein is a high ceiling guy there is he can be you know he can be andrew level good he can be josh allen level good he can grow and be ben roethlisberger good i mean i i think he has that literal potential to be not only a first round pick but a long-time starting quarterback in the NFL. He's got that sort of upside and potential, but he also has some work to do. And if he's not able to improve mechanically, uh, then that means he won't improve his accuracy. And who knows, there's a chance he never plays. So what I would say is Holstein has a very high ceiling, but he also has a very low floor. I mean, it, it could just not work out at all. Uh, now, Lonergan, is completely opposite of that. I don't see myself. I could be wrong. Oh, oh, and trust me. Oh, I've been wrong. <laughs> I could be wrong. But my opinion is, I think Lonergan is sort of limited in his upside in the sense I don't see a kid who has first round traits. I don't see a kid that most first round picks and NFL starting quarterbacks have a lot of wow to him. Like, wow, that guy's an athlete or that guy's got an unbelievable arm or I don't, I don't see Lonergan in that light. But you know what I also don't see is him not being good. I think he's going to show up good. I don't really think he has a floor. Uh, he has, you know, I'll, I'll call it a high floor. He, he's going to be good. It's just a matter of how good. Uh, he won't be bad. He will help us. He will be good enough to be at least the number two quarterback. I'm very confident in that. Uh, now, in terms of how great he could be, not, not like Holstein, great. So Holstein, high ceiling, but low floor. Lonergan, not a very high ceiling, but, but really almost no floor at all. He's going to be good. 
what's interesting in some ways from a quarterback perspective from like playing the quarterback position Lonergan in some ways as a passer reminds me a little bit of Sam Howell you know and, and actually from a size perspective he actually has some similarities there as well I just think he's a lot more mobile I think he's a lot more of a, a more physical punisher when it comes to running the football and what's wild is that you're watching a guy who I mean you got to imagine how much time has to be spent to be good at baseball how much time commitment does it take it takes quite a bit and he spent you know a lot of his career playing both sports and so you just sit here and, and wonder and imagine how good could this cat be if he had put all of his energy towards just football and what can he be if that ever ends up being the case I mean you've got to be somebody when you're spending you know between football and baseball you're spending 90 percent 95 percent of your year focusing on one of those two sports whether it be training or preparation you know you got to stay you know go out and you got to throw, you got to catch, um, you got to, you know, got to go out there and hit for baseball. You got to do a lot of things to keep yourself ready to play both sports. And that takes a ton of commitment. And so you would think that he's a guy who's committed and Eli Holstein, same way. And from a physical stature standpoint, being six, four two thirty, you know, having 10 inch hands, we all know how important that is from, you know, a combine perspective, the fact that he's athletic running down there in the low four sixes, the vertical, I think that there's so much from just a, you know, when you're trying to put together or build a quarterback, I think there's so much that Eli Holstein already possesses that you would put into that, you know, made in a factory quarterback. The one thing with him uh, really that I've noticed is that I would like for the throwing motion to get a little bit more compact and a little bit tighter. Like I said, I have seen improvement. If you go back and look at some of his earlier highlights compared to some of his later in, a, in different years, he seems to be moving in the right direction and you get him with a college coach, you know, hopefully, you know, some guys, they can't break bad habits. It's how they've thrown the football their entire career. Go watch Phillip rivers, which granted with the way that he threw, I don't think it was necessarily a hindrance. So it just looked very wonky. So, uh, you know, people wanted to tweak it or change it. You really didn't have to with him with Holstein, you know, I would like to see it, you know, look a little bit prettier um, as far as his mechanics and, especially in the lower body. I think there's a lot that he could work on there, but you just got, you've got very, two very good quarterbacks and we'll kind of, this is how we'll kind of transition into the, the, the position previews. But the way that I look at this and why it's so important for Alabama, Nick Saban always wants to stay ahead. He wants to stay multiple steps ahead and imagine this scenario. Doesn't mean it's going to play out this way, but let's just try to imagine this. You get past the 2022 season. Bryce Young does everything that we expect him to do. He, Decides to leave early for the NFL. Alabama gets to spring practice. Jalen Milrose battling Ty Simpson and whoever else who's on campus for the starting quarterback job. Let's say whoever wins that job, the other one decides, hey, I'm not sitting for even a year. I mean, you got to look, Ty Simpson, even though Jalen Milrose could theoretically leave after his redshirt sophomore season, uh, that's not a guarantee. He, was, he could technically have two more years after, well, really three years as the starting quarterback, and Ty Simpson might look at that and say, I want to enter the transfer portal. I want to go somewhere else where I can have a better shot to play early or play now. Or maybe, you know, Ty Simpson wins the job. And Jalen Milrow is like, this kid's younger than me. I need to transfer and go elsewhere and give myself uh, the option or the ability to get on the field and try to showcase my skills. And then whoever ends up losing that battle between the two enters the transfer portal. If you've only recruited one quarterback for the 2023 class, you're left with two scholarship quarterbacks at that point, one of them being a true freshman, the other being a guy because you've had Bryce Young that doesn't have a lot of experience. 
that's not the scenario you want to find yourself in. So it was crucial for Alabama to get two quarterbacks in this class because if something like that happens, you lose Bryce Young and you lose one of those other two, which I don't foresee that happening. I think it's very possible Milrow and Simpson both end up staying. But in the scenario where maybe that does play out that way, Nick Saban and Alabama want to be prepared. So they targeted two quarterbacks in this class. And not only did they get them, you were right in your assessment earlier. Typically, when they go after two quarterbacks, you know, you'll get the two with Tunga Valoa, the star, and then you'll kind of go after a guy who you like long term. You like the, you know, some of the traits that he has, but he's more developmental. He's not ranked as high. This is two top 100 prospects. You just don't see that very often in the same recruiting class. That's right. And uh, I mean, just just a home run. I mean, there's just no no other way about it. I mean, they're, they're both capable of being multi-year starters. I like that they are both a little different, not radically different. You can run the exact same offense with both guys. I mean, this isn't like one guy's a runner and one guy's a passer. Uh, you run the same offense with both guys. And, you know, I'm a fan of all Alabama sports, so I also admit to liking that Lonergan's a good baseball player. Alabama could definitely use that. So, uh, and, and, hey, I, I don't want to uh, – sell the, the guys on on the team short we, we know Bryce is going to move on to the NFL after the season but uh I'm a huge Milrow fan I'm a huge Ty Simpson fan uh I love the makeup of the quarterback room I can't remember a time Clint honestly where I loved every member of the quarterback room in terms of I felt all of them could be multi-year starters I know people would say hey uh hey 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 you dummy uh, just a few years ago, to a Jalen and Mac Jones were in the quarterback room. Yeah, but at that time, none of us, not even Mac's parents, knew how good Mac was going to be. I mean, Mac was sort of, at that time, an afterthought. There was a lot to like about Jalen. There was a lot to like about Tua. But we just kind of considered Mac Jones just sort of, you know, a guy to maybe, you know, finish up the game in garbage time. No, no one really saw that coming. So this is a, a different scenario altogether. One thing with Mac Jones that I always want to point out to people, and it's something to always keep an eye on. It doesn't mean that you're going to hear this same kind of offseason buzz all the time by any means. But one thing about Mac, and it's something that I wish in hindsight I would have taken into account more, whether you're talking about scrimmages, whether you're talking about, you know, in the spring and fall camp, the coaching staff, you know, a lot of this stuff was not open to the public or to the media. And so we wouldn't actually get to watch it ourselves, but you'd always hear about, you know, the quarterbacks doing well, you know, certain guys, and then you hear, well, Mac Jones did really well too. You know, you, you'd hear about progress and development, and he's making improvement. You've heard that a lot with Jalen Milrow behind the scenes, like the coaching, you know, Nick Saban gets up there on the podium. He starts talking about Milrow, and it's this guy has made improvement. He has gotten a much better command of the offense. He's a lot more comfortable. He's a lot more confident. He understands what we want to do more. We're trying to keep him in the pocket. You know, we're working on those kind of things, but you're hearing about positive growth. And with Milrow being a top 100 prospect, we hear that and we say, okay, this guy in the future could be a star. If you're hearing, I don't care if you're hearing that with a three-star guy that Alabama brings in. First of all, there's a reason they brought him in. They like his, you know, potential and his ability. And you're also hearing about his improvement that he's making. Never take that for granted in the future if you hear that kind of stuff as far as, you know, listen to the coaching staff and listen, you know, read between the lines a little bit. There's a reason that that these comments get made. And just because a guy wasn't maybe rated as high, I think we should have taken that into account a lot more with Matt Jones because we always heard about that, um, how well he performed in the scrimmages and, and some of the stuff that Alabama was doing behind the scenes. But as far as the current crop of quarterbacks, 
and this is the last we'll spend on the position previews as, or as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, mostly because, you know, there's only so much that you can talk about. But Bryce Young's expected to be the starter. We, I think we're both in agreement right now. Milrow is, is the number two with the way that he showed out in, in spring. And then you got Simpson as your number three. I think that's a great quarterback room. That's pretty ideal because you've got a guy who's now going into year two. He's done it before. He got a little bit of playing time. You're going to hopefully try to get him a little bit more playing time this upcoming year as the season progresses. But then you got Bryce Young, who's now, you know, a starter. He's seen it all. He's gone from start to finish, played against the elites of the elites, played against the the scrubs. My question is, with this quarterback room, really with, with Bryce Young in particular, do you think that he repeats his Heisman winning season? You know, obviously statistically, but then from an award perspective as well, maybe you say, well, I think he does repeat his numbers or comes close to hitting those numbers or maybe exceeds those numbers. But maybe I don't think he wins the award because it's difficult to win it two times in a row. Or you say, you know, I don't think he does quite as well, but I still think he does good enough to win the Heisman again. So what are your thoughts on, on his ability to maybe repeat last season's success? I think, uh, yeah, you just nailed it there with one of your options. I, I believe Bryce will be improved. I think he'll be a better player. Now, he's not new to football anymore. I mean, by, by new, I mean it's not shocking when he plays extremely well. It's kind of what everybody expects now. And sort of for the same reason, it's difficult for somebody like LeBron James to win the NBA MVP award. After a while, you almost get numbed to how good he is. And for LeBron to win the award, he has to do something truly spectacular that maybe he's never done before. Uh, I think it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for Bryce to be awarded the Heisman Trophy, even if he's a better player than he was a year ago, which I do suspect he will be. Uh, in the end, Bryce is going to be the face, the offensive skill position face of the best team, in my opinion. Uh, he will be a – I will be stunned if he's not present when the Heisman is, is awarded. That's what would really stun me. Uh, I do think he has a good chance to win it again because the media likes him. Uh, I mean, you know, he's a popular guy. I don't think they'll be looking for reasons not to give it to him. But there's several other good candidates. Uh, there's a reason nobody has won this uh, twice in a row since Archie Griffin in the, in the 70s. Uh, man, we're working on what, on, over 40 years now, uh, even though the Heisman winner now, now more often returns to school. Uh, than in the old days, because it used to be, you know, almost, almost, almost nobody but seniors won in the old days. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that Bryce doesn't win the Heisman, uh, but, but it has nothing to do with Bryce or Alabama. It just has to do with history. Uh, I, I, so for that reason alone, I say no on the Heisman, but I thoroughly expect Bryce to be a better player than he was a year ago. That means fewer mistakes, better decision-making, and that's what I want to see from Bryce better decision-making pre-snap, like, hey, I got to get us out of this bad play, or, hey, what we got called isn't going to work. Uh, I want to see a near NFL level, near NFL level decision-making pre-snap and post-snap from him, cutting down on, on mistakes. He's not an error-prone guy anyway, but even cutting down on, on mistakes and maybe a more efficient Bryce. I would also like to see him. It's just me. And I know a lot of people disagree with this and that's fine. I get the disagreement with it. Maybe I'm just wrong. I would like to see him use his legs more, but continue to be smart. He's got to avoid taking the big shot. I just have a lot of trust in Bryce 
that he can be more aggressive with his legs, but still avoid the big shot. Uh, and, and I would like to see that just because I think it's such a huge uh, weapon for Alabama. Yeah, when, when it comes to winning the Heisman Trophy a second time in a row, that's that's very difficult to do. And I think that there's a lot working against Bryce being able to win it again. I think there's a lot working against him from being able to have the same level of success that he had even last season. I think he's going to be a better player, and you can be a better player. And I think that through this year, he will be able to learn some things that make him a better quarterback because what he did extremely well last year, you know, his ability really, he thrived the most when things broke down. You know, certain quarterbacks are just better in chaos. You know, Joe Burrow, in my opinion, was one of those guys. When things were breaking down around him, that's where you really saw him at his absolute best. You know, in, in some situations, it's like you might not want him to just stay in a clean perfect pocket all the time you're right because right. some of their most you know their biggest plays that they're able to produce are on things that are broken down he's able to escape the pocket defense somebody gets behind the defense because the you know the defensive backs looking at the quarterback you know scrambling or maybe he comes up to make a tackle you know whatever ends up happening the christian leary play in the sec championship you know where bryce is able to break down get outside and then kind of flick it out when the defensive back comes up to try to tackle him if, if he's staying in a clean, easy pocket all the time, that certain quarterbacks, that's where they're going to thrive, right? I mean, you never want to give Peyton Manning a, a clean pocket consistently. He'll absolutely eat you alive. A guy like Bryce Young, you know, I think to some degree he, he thrives in that chaos. But at the same time, what you got to understand, I would have been very curious, as dominant as Cam Newton was in 2010, I would have loved to have seen him play in 2011 because I would have loved to have seen what people could do with an entire offseason of getting an entire year of his game tape and where he thrives and what he likes to do in certain situations and how you can exploit it and what makes him comfortable and what makes him uncomfortable. You can do some of those things and learn some of those things as you're going, you know, if you have, you know, five or six games to look at, but you got a week to do it, right? You know, if you're a coach, you know, a coaching staff, you've only got a week to really dive into all that and try to figure it out. When you got an entire offseason, you can dissect everything and, and come up with more things that you can do. Joe Burrow, even though he was a multi-year starter, he wasn't 2019 Joe Burrow until 2019. And so as he's doing all this just magic, teams never really had a chance to have an entire offseason of, of looking and, and studying the tape and figuring things out. And so he gets done there. He moves on to the NFL. He's gone. He's done. For Bryce, you got the, the Heisman caliber performance and all these things that he put on tape that he does extremely well, but he also put a lot of stuff on tape that you can maybe exploit. And... I'll be curious to see how defenses attack him this year to try to limit some of that success. But I'll also be curious to see how Bryce Young grows when he doesn't have some of that stuff available to him. And that's really why I say he can become a much better player is I don't think it will be, you know, he will have to, he will be forced to do things more that make him uncomfortable. And I think that really by the end of this season, you're going to see a much better Bryce Young. But statistically, it may not reflect that. You know, from the Heisman perspective, not only are you competing against everybody else in the field, you're competing against last year's success. And if the numbers don't line up, people are going to be like, wait a minute. By the end of the year, I guess he was a shoe-in for the Heisman, but there was a lot of question marks. Really, it was that Auburn game, that last drive of the Auburn game, and then it was the success against Georgia and that historically good defense in the SEC championship that really sealed it for him. But before that... Everybody kept saying, right now, Bryce Young's the leader, but it's really because no one else has stepped up. If you remember, this year, 
you know, people are going to look and say, well, I mean, there were some question marks about him winning it last year and his numbers aren't as good this year. So really, are we going to give it to this guy? Like that's the kind of stuff that he'll be up against. So I, I personally, I don't think he's going to win the Heisman. If I had to guess either way, I don't necessarily think that he'll put up the same. He might be more efficient. He might have be improved in certain areas, maybe completion percentage, maybe even passing yardage, depending on how Alabama does with their schedule. You know, there's possible that he could end up, you know, sitting on the bench for, you know, the, a lot of fourth quarters. And if that ends up being the case, isn't you know, passing statistics might not be as much, but I would probably say passing touchdowns, passing yardage, it's very possible that both those two things are either, you know, roughly the same, maybe a little bit less, but he even still, I still think he could be a very good quarterback. No doubt. No doubt. Hey, one, one, one other point I want to make about uh, the, the room that I didn't make before. I can't remember, Clint, maybe you can. I can't remember ever feeling like if Alabama lost the starting quarterback, knock on wood, hope that doesn't happen. But I, I myself, I, I have a ton of confidence in Milrow and Ty. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like Alabama can beat every team on their schedule with Jalen Milrow as a starting quarterback or with Ty Simpson as the starting quarterback. I, I've never felt that way about the whole room. Now I realize the whole room is only three guys, and I realize Milrow and Simpson haven't played, and maybe I'm sounding too much just like a pie-eyed fan, but I, I'm really basing it on what I know from inside the program and also what I saw with my own eyes this spring. I, I think they're ready to win games, and I, I, just, I, I think that's pretty rare in my history as an Alabama fan that I felt that way about all the quarterbacks in the room. They're all ready. I know Ty's a true freshman, but he's an exception to every rule because he's a college coach's kid. He has tremendous poise. It was the best true freshman performance I've ever seen in an A-Day uh, setting. Uh, I, I'm confident that all of the guys in the, in the QB room can win, uh, can win games this fall. I mean, I, I certainly, obviously you believe it with Bryce Young. Uh, I certainly believe it with Jalen Milrow. And really, I, I can't call you crazy because I can't really dispute it. I don't, I don't know what Ty Simpson would be. I think right now, based off of what we saw in the spring, when things break down around him, he, he, he's a little bit Jalen Hurts-esque where he, if things go wrong quick, he's not really going to stand in there right now. He's, he's a true freshman. He's learning. But I think he goes to running the football a little bit too quickly. But that's something that, you know, Jalen took a little bit of time for that to develop. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to take that right. much time. And, you know, that, that could be just something where it's his first live action ever, you know, in a college football game or a college football game setting, which was the 8A game. And that's just his natural instincts, his, his adrenaline. That's how he reacted. But once, you know, I think the more that he's in the college system, the more the game slows down. And I, so I certainly think that he could end up being a very good quarterback. He's a five-star prospect. And I think we all, based off of what we saw, what we heard about in the spring and then what we saw in the A-Day game, everybody should understand why. Was he perfect? No. But he showed plenty of traits that makes you excited about what he can be in the future. And if that future had to be right now, I wouldn't say that you should feel great about it, but I think you could come in and win you some football games for sure. Uh, but Jalen Murrow is the one where right now it's like, if you lose Bryce Young, it's not good. But a couple of years ago when Tua Tungvaloa went down and Mac Jones came in, I don't think anybody was expecting Mac Jones to be that Mac Jones. And he did make a couple of mistakes. Some were his fault. Some were not his fault, especially in the Iron Bowl that, you know, cost Alabama a football game. And, and people blamed him for that. But that's about as good of backup quarterback play as you could possibly ask for or get. Like he came in and I, I mean, 
it wasn't winning in spite of him. In some of these cases, it was winning because of him. And I understand that the two crucial mistakes ended up being the daggers, one of them being a terrible throw, one of them being just an unfortunate fluky situation. And if either one of those two things doesn't happen, one better decision in that situation against Auburn or just that freak fluke accident play that happened in the end zone, if either one of those two things doesn't happen, Alabama wins the football game. But all the other passes from that game were, I mean, incredible. He competed. He made some just throws that made my jaw drop. And so that's as good as you could possibly ask. And I think Milrow, if he was asked to step in, I think you're getting that caliber where it's not necessarily, hey, everybody around him has got to step up and play out of their minds because if you don't, we're not going to be able to win. I think Jalen Milrow can do some things that not only prevents you from losing games, but helps you win them as well. So, so yeah, now uh, we'll move on to the outside linebackers. We've talked about the quarterbacks. We've talked about, you know, the Dylan Lonergan commitment and, you know, Alabama running, you know, two quarterbacks in his 2023 class and, and the importance of that. But let's talk about the defensive side of the football. Let's talk about the guys who get after the quarterback. And if you're talking about the outside linebackers, Jimmy, I think there's this guy that's pretty good that everybody likes to start with. <laughs> you, mean, you mean maybe – are you talking about Will Anderson maybe? Uh, I mean, I was – no. Uh, is that his name? Uh, I'm sure. I'd heard something about like Terminator or something. 30, 30, 32. He's, he's got a number somewhere in there. Hey, I already wrote uh, on the my countdown to fall camp when it was 31 days out last week. I was trying to come up with, okay, what can I say that's not, what can I say that that's emphatic and big, but is still my real opinion? <laughs> and as crazy as it sounds, I mean, now I'm assuming two things, that he stays healthy and that he uh, plays as well as he did last year. Now, actually, I think he'll be better because most kids improve each year. And, and as hard as Will works, I, I really have no doubt that he'll somehow, some way be better than he was a year ago. But as long as he's just as good as he was last year and stays healthy all season long, I've, I'm very comfortable saying he's the best player of the Saban era, which is saying so much because look you're competing with four Heisman winners you know for for that title but I still believe Will is the best player of the Saban era and then I thought to myself you know what if you're the best player of the Saban era then you're then 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 you have a good argument to make you're the best player to ever play at Alabama because the Saban era has been the best era in Alabama history even better than the Bryant era I believe so I think Will Anderson may be the best football player to ever play at Alabama, which is an insane thing to even suggest. But the facts are there. And, and the last thing I'll say about him is it's not the only way to judge a player. It's not fair. It's, it's too many variables. But Alabama's never had the first pick in the draft. Will would have been the first pick last year. He would have been drafted ahead of uh, – of Trayvon, the Georgia guy. Trayvon uh, Walker. The, yeah, he would have been drafted at Trayvon. I, I, I 100% believe that. And and I'm not the only one saying that. I think Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay have said that too. So best number one pick in the draft as a sophomore when Alabama's never had the number one pick. Uh, that's why even though what I'm saying sounds outlandish, you can back it up. Best player to ever play here. Probably the number one person that is going to pop in people's minds to compare Will Anderson to and, and maybe dispute that or raise questions about it would be Derek Thomas. 
and there's a couple of factors to look at here. One plays in Will Anderson's favor, and the other one doesn't. Will Anderson is doing this during a time where the game is completely set up to help the offense be successful. So as a defensive player, he is doing stuff in a era of college football where they want offenses to have more success and make the game as easy as possible. The quick RPO, the quick slants, you get, get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. It's not, you know, three or five step drops and all that kind of stuff like you saw back in the day. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, you're also looking at an era where Will Anderson gets a lot more opportunities to get after the quarterback because you've got so many pass happy teams and they're dropping back, you know, 65 times a game or something like that. I mean, that's just, that's something that, that Derek Thomas never really got the opportunity to get that number uh, of pass rushing reps. But I also think, you know, we talked about the sack numbers and, and from everything that I've ever heard, Derek Thomas was also a great run defender as well. I just know that Will Anderson is a phenomenal run defender. Uh, I would say if he couldn't, you know, get after the quarterback at all, he still would have value even at 6'4", 243 pounds because he's a, a very good situationally aware run defender as well. So just a complete package. They're both phenomenal players, one pre-saving, one post-saving, or during saving, I guess you'd say. And I, I think that you make a good point. I think there's an argument for both. But at the same time, that's we'll have to see how this season goes. Because Derek Thomas had what his 18 sack season, which Will Anderson had his 17 and a half sack season, and then Derek Thomas followed it up with 27 sacks. You're not going to get that out of Will Anderson. I don't think anybody ever touches that ever again. But you know, if he has another, you know, 17 and a half plus sack season, I think there's arguments to be made. Five or six times this year, I bet, I bet on five or six occasions this year, Clint. Dallas Turner is going to sack the quarterback and an immediate comment to be made right after Dallas' sack will be if Dallas didn't get him, Will was about to. Yeah. I mean, that's going to cost him a couple just because Dallas is going to be getting to the quarterback so quickly. And Derek didn't have, you know, a bookend like Will has, which is great for the team, uh, no doubt. And But, yeah, that's why when I've been asked about sack numbers, I tend to focus a little bit more on – sack totals between Dallas and Will as opposed to just Will because I think they're sort of interrelated to me. I, I think Will may get more sacks on account of, of Dallas. Dallas may get more sacks on account of Will because it's kind of – I mean, I, I think Will will be the one more likely to see double teams, which really helps Dallas or the interior guys. Just a great situation. And I don't want to give short shrift to the other guys. Uh, Braswell, to me, was one of the biggest stories of the spring – uh, he was so good, they're literally finding a spot for him. I mean, which is kind of crazy because you can only play with 11, right? But <laughs> the, the, Braswell was so good, they, like, went to the drawing board. Like, how can we put him on the field, too? Uh, that, that's incredible. Uh, and then the deep depth, I think Jeremiah Alexander is a similar situation to Dallas Turner a year ago there's just no way that there's room for him to play, right? I mean, there's no room for him to play with the first team. Yet we said that a year ago about Dallas Turner and look, look what happened. Now that was really an injury situation, drove it. I hope that's not how Jeremiah gets on the field. I'm just saying Jeremiah could be a true freshman impact player in the way Dallas was. I just don't know that he'll get that opportunity. Uh, And from inside the program, I hear uh, that they're very high on the future of Keanu Coke 
uh, they really like him. Uh, I think Demoy uh, Kennedy, it's still about finding a spot for him. And Quandarius Robinson uh, still has significant upside. I think it's just been a little slower for him to develop, which isn't crazy. That, that does happen. So anyone writing off Kennedy and Robinson are crazy to do so based on their upside. But I doubt we see much of either of them outside of special teams. Right. Yeah. And the Derek Thomas thing, certainly yeah. don't want to ignore. He did have Cornelius Bennett and then he had Keith McCants. So, I mean, that's a great point. Uh, but in I mean, 80s. that doesn't, in 86, doesn't, he was a very young player when he had Cornelius Bennett. He's almost sort of behind Cornelius Bennett a little bit. Uh, he was young. young yeah. I want to say that, uh, he played from like, I want to say like 85 to 88, maybe. 80. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And then uh, I want to say Bennett. Bennett was like I think he played a couple of like eighty five and eighty six with Bennett, and then Keith McCants was coming in at, after that. Um, I think McCants came in in eighty eight. Was McCants yeah. because uh, people might not remember this term. McCants was a prop forty eight. He arrived in eighty seven, and as a prop forty eight, that meant he had to he could practice with the team, but had to sit out a season because he wasn't academically eligible. So uh, McCants wasn't on the team in eighty seven. It's at 88, he was a true sophomore because the Prop 48 year did cost you a year of eligibility. That was the rules back then. And uh, so McCants played with Derek in 88, uh, but wasn't the player that he was in 89 when he just sort of burst onto the national scene. So, yes, think, those guys were on the team, but but not not so much uh, impactful uh, as, as it relates to Derek's production. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm, I was just – yeah. I, I, I didn't want to – remember. I, was, I happened to be in school then. I mean, I was a freshman in 88 and 89. Oh, uh, man. You know, I, I was 80, 88 through 91, so I remember that stuff pretty pretty well. And uh, being a student, those guys, particularly Cornelius, Cornelius was before me. He graduated two years before I got there. But uh, Derek uh, was a senior when I was a freshman. Uh Boy, larger than life to me. I mean, larger than life. I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to be a freshman now in Alabama with Will Anderson walking around. Uh, I, I guess I sort of experienced that with Derek. Wait, I, I don't. I don't want to talk about this anymore because I'm jealous that you got to be in Alabama uh, during the Derek Thomas. I just I there tell was some people, losing. There was some losing though, pal. Well, there, <laughs> yeah, was there was, losing. but you got to. I mean, I tell people all the time. It, it's one of the really. You know, I was born in 1990, so obviously I missed the train on the Derek Thomas thing. And I just think that there's something to be said about witnessing the greatness in real time. Like you get to attach the emotion to it and just the, the reactions when he, I mean, you're, if I throw on a highlight tape, I know all these dominant plays are coming, you know, there's, there's going to be filled with nothing but dominant plays, but you were watching the games where Alabama needed a big, you know, uh, play in a big moment. And it's always Derek Thomas that's delivering and just the things that he would do on the, you know, I'm, I'm witnessing it with Will Anderson. So no, the defense wasn't that great. That's what stands out to me in retrospect because I watched those 27 sacks happen. I was in school and in the student section, all those games, and I watched it happen. And, and, and I guess I didn't put it in the proper perspective at the time because, number one, the defense was good, but not like it is under Saban. I mean, the defense right. wasn't phenomenal. Derek was phenomenal, but the defense as a whole was fine and not great. And there was – a lot of losing in 87 and, and 88, although 89 was a really good year. Uh, they were 10 and 0 before they lost to Auburn. Um, but I, I think I, I, I didn't appreciate it like I should have. Uh, I think as I look back on it, that 27 number is just, 
It's incredible. It's astounding. But I guess you kind of got used to Derek had 18 the year before. And I guess it would be like Will. We saw Will have his, as you astutely pointed out, Will sort of had his Derek's junior year last year. And, and if we saw Will rack up 18 or 20 sacks again, I wouldn't say it's ho-hum, but you're just, you're not going to be surprised. You won't be surprised. Yeah. And with Derek, it just, it never felt surprising. It was like, when I was Derek doing Derek things. I'll tell you what, man, I'd, I'd play NCAA football and I could break all those records pretty easy, you know, using an offensive player or a defensive player, but then, you know, it take it takes some commitment to the old sack department with a single player to break 27 in a season, even in a video game, if that tells you anything. But talking about Will Anderson and just how dominant he was last year, uh, you know, you talk about Dallas Turner and and how good he looked down the stretch last year. You know, I want to say he went the first probably what, eight or nine games, first half of the season, just over half the season. And he didn't have a single sack. And then down the stretch, the last probably seven or eight games, I want to say seven games, he had all eight and a half of his sacks. I mean, he just, he really started to turn it on once they started to rely on him a little bit more. I do want people to know that, Jimmy, what would you say would be Dallas Turner's snap counts? You know, he played 370 snaps last season. That's roughly about 37%. But I think we all know with Drew Sanders and Christopher Allen and those two guys had to go down to give Dallas Turner the opportunity to you know show what he could do, and then he held on to the role. So obviously that's it, that, that does not mean he played a third of the snaps the entire season because he didn't play a whole lot of snaps the first you know four or five games. What would you say once he kind of became that guy in some of those heavier usage games? New Mexico State, you know, they get in there, they get the job done, they get their starters out. He's obviously not going to play as much in that one, but, you know, A&M, Arkansas, LSU, Auburn, Georgia, Cincinnati. What do you think, you know, as far as percentage on the field, how much do you think he was on it? Uh, 38%, 40%? 32.9% in the SEC championship, 47% against Auburn. Otherwise, he was in that 50 to 60% of the snaps range and a lot of those other big games, but that's kind of a lot of people think, Oh, this guy became the quote unquote starter. And he was playing all these snaps. He only started three games last year. Uh, And now granted he was the other starting outside linebacker, but there were so many games where he wouldn't get that, that tally because they would go in, you know, that three, three, five, you know, alignment to start the game. For fans to understand, look, we have three personnel groups regular nickel and dime that's that's all Alabama ever lines up now now of course there's all sorts of ways they line up in all three but basically there's regular nickel and dime with Dallas being now the regular outside linebacker opposite will he wasn't last year because it started out Chris Allen and then it became Drew Sanders Dallas was actually the third guy to 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 to, to be the starter there if you want to call it the starter but when Alabama comes out in regular the base formation Dallas will be out there basically every snap opposite will when they're in regular cuz they play two outside linebackers when we're in dime Dallas will also be out there cuz they play two outside linebackers in dime uh, they have our best pass rushers outside that's Dallas and Will so Dallas will play all the regular snaps and all the dime snaps the question is nickel and it's a huge question because in nickel traditionally Alabama only lines up with one outside linebacker, in this case, Will Anderson most of the time. 
and that's the way Nick's done it throughout most of his career. And Alabama's in nickel most of the time. Of the personnel packages, the one Alabama ends up in the most is nickel. And again, traditionally, they only play one outside linebacker in nickel. Now, Dallas is so good, you don't want to take them off the field. So we will see for only the second or third season in, in Nick Saban's tenure, I think, two outside linebackers will be on the field in the majority of nickel snaps uh, because why take Dallas off? If you have Dallas off the field, that means a third defensive lineman's off on the field. Let's say that that person's just an avoid beat. Well, there might be some scenarios where you want avoid beat in and Dallas Turner out. There'll be some scenarios, but in general, who do you want on the field? I mean, avoid is a good player, but he's not Dallas. Uh, and, and so if I'm going to guess what percentage of plays Dallas Turner will be on the field this year, it all starts with that conversation. Almost 100% of regular, almost 100% of dime. I'm going to say 60% of nickel snaps. And then you can kind of do the math from there. I think it would add up to roughly 70%, you know, of, of all snaps. I think Dallas Turner will be on the field uh, for all season long, assuming good health. Right. And I think that that's, you know, anywhere from 60 to 70%, I think would be a pretty good number for him. I think that makes sense. I want to say that Will Anderson played somewhere in the 60 percentile range during his freshman season. Yeah. And I wasn't taking into account garbage time. I mean, garbage time affects yeah, yeah. Things dramatically. You have to take them all out, you know, and, and, and hopefully in the fourth quarter, you have a four or five touchdown lead and Will and Dallas are on the bench, you know, yucking it up. A hundred percent. Yeah. The, I would say any, the, these individual games, you know, like last year, 61.3% against Texas A&M, 60% against Arkansas, 63.2% against LSU, 59.3% against Cincinnati. I would say that that snap share in those types of games where they're needed for the entirety of the game, obviously, you know, you play Georgia in the SEC championship, 39.2% of the, the snaps there you know, that not as high, but then when they you know, play them again in the uh, national championship, 51.7%, I would say that in those types of big games, you'll see the, the ceiling of those, that snap share increase to 65 plus percent, you know, touching on 70 maybe. And then in the games where maybe game script allows for, doesn't allow for him to get as, as many snaps. I still think you're getting 60 to 65%. Um, maybe sometimes in the, you know, 50 to 55, or excuse me, uh, 55 to 60%. But I would say that would be a pretty safe assumption as far as his usage. That's where things get interesting for me. Because when I look at it that way, and I look at it and I say, man, it, let's say we're correct in that. 70%, let's say that the, he touches on that. That's 30%. That's almost a third of the snaps that you've already got Dallas Turner off the field. There are going to be certain situations, obvious passing situations, where Chris Braswell is going to be on the field, I think, and I'm sure you agree, with Dallas Turner and with Will Anderson. But that's only very specific situations. So where do you get Chris Braswell's snap share? Because a lot of the 30% of the 35% that we're talking about him being off the field, the reason is going to be because there's an extra defensive lineman on the field. It's more of a run-stopping, early-down type of situation where you've got that, you know, and I would call it, really, it's, you know, it's like you said, it's nickel, uh, four two five defense. You also got Saban's, you know, three three five mint front where he's got the two defensive ends and four eyes. You got the Jack linebacker, and then you're also kind of using the the nickel defensive back in the star position. 
on the opposite side of the jack. And there's a lot of times where the jack's dropping in coverage, nickel, you know, stars coming off the edge, being that fourth rusher. You'll get combinations of that kind of stuff, but you get a lot of three true defensive linemen on the field. And so where do you find, if that's where you're already seeding snap, that Dallas Turner's already seeding snaps to somebody else, where, I mean, to me, last year, Chris Braswell played 11.3% of the snaps. And as good as I think Chris Braswell can be, and efficient as I think he can be, I don't see that increasing much. I could see it maybe touching 15%, but I think everybody believes because he's considered a starter alongside those other two guys that he's you know going to be up there in 30%, 40%. And I'm like, I don't need, know that a snap share will increase really at all. I just think that the, the moments that he's in the game, last year a lot of that was mop-up duty snaps and things like that. I think now there will be specific situations where he'll be allowed to make a bigger impact, but I don't think he's going to be on the field as much as people think he is. Well, I agree totally, and this, this is just my, my opinion and based on what little I know plus the opinion. Uh, I think he will be in regular and nickel giving Will or Dallas a breather, and I think he'll be considered a first-team guy, which means, hey, if Will's, if Will's rushed the passer on eight snaps in a row, uh, Braswell's going to give him a breather. He's going to be play with the first team in the first quarter when Will or Dallas need a break. So he's going to get some snaps doing that. I do think his primary role is going to be against some teams on some dime snaps when it's the dime unit that's out there. Uh, The outside pass rushers will be Will Anderson and Chris Braswell. And Dallas Turner is going to move to the middle of the field where Dallas will sometimes play the role of the mic. Uh, in the dime and just sort of cover an area like a zone situation. And sometimes Dallas will blitz from that position where you've got Will and Braswell coming off the edge and Dallas coming up the middle. Uh, but that, that's as I understand it is going to be the real attempt to get Braswell on the field in dime some of the time with Dallas Turner uh, moving to uh, more of a mic spot. Yeah, well, I mean, in at the very least, I mean, some nickel stuff where you're going to get the two linebackers set. You'll have your two, I think, you know, Anderson and Braswell, like you said, as the defensive ends. You still have Tooto on the field as kind of your uh, linebacker, your cover linebacker covering the shallow, but then you're sending that extra fifth blitzer, and instead of it being a Christian Harris or a Henry Tooto that we saw a lot last year or whether it was, you know, guys in, in previous years who were great off-ball you know, inside linebacker blitzers, it's going to be a guy who's one of the top pass rushers in the country in Dallas Turner. And that's going to make Alabama's defense all the more lethal. And I completely agree with you there. I mean, if you're mad, I'm just, if Jamil Burroughs is what we think he can be, I'm trying to imagine as an offensive front, as a unit, you're looking at Will Anderson. And you're like, we, we need to at the very least double this guy, maybe even triple team. Then you're looking at Dallas Turner. You're like, at the very least, we should probably be doubling this guy. But because we're already doubling or maybe even tripling Will Anderson, we really probably are going to have to leave him in one-on-one situations more than we want to. But then you've got Chris Braswell, who in those very specific situations, you don't, as an offensive lineman, as an offensive coordinator, as, as, a, as a team, want to leave Chris Braswell, even though he's barely played, you, you don't want to have him getting after the quarterback in one-on-one situations. And then on top of that, you're going to look at Jamil Burroughs if he's what we think he can be, which is just a very solid complimentary interior pass rusher, a, a Fedarian Mathis, a Christian Barmore. 
I don't see how you – I mean, obviously you're going to leave guys in. You're going to have tight ends chipping. You're going to have running backs staying in for protection. But you're talking about an absolute mess. And granted, those are going to be in very specific situations because there's going to – if you try to do that all the time, they're just going to hammer the football at you and they're going to have a lot of success doing it. So it's not like it's going to be used a ton, but if it's a crucial third and nine in the fourth quarter and they're able to put that package out there because they know you're throwing the football, good luck. I mean, if, you, if you're able to get that ball off um, for a first down, all power to you. Uh, just don't really foresee that being something that's going to happen often. But where I really like this, uh, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about the depth that Alabama has at outside linebacker. And I wouldn't – it's not me saying that I think Alabama's five deep at the position. What I'm saying is, is that I think they have options in the event of an injury, right? Because you've got Will Anderson, you've got Dallas Turner. Those are your two quote-unquote starters – if one of those guys gets hurt, I think you could go. Uh, obviously, you're using the other one when you're going that kind of three. And I, I'm referring to it as a three-three-five. It's not three-three-five stack or anything. It's just three. That, that will tell you three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. But when they go that three-three-five look, you know the one outside linebacker will be just whichever one's not injured between Turner and Anderson. If you're using two outside linebackers, you could. You know, I think it's possible. Like, like a when you're going with the three three five, then you just use the one that's available to you. But then when you go two outside linebackers, if you like where Chris Braswell is at as far as his development and being a complete player, maybe when you're going two outside linebackers, you're putting him on the field every time. Or maybe in the event of, of that situation, you might find yourself platooning between Jeremiah Alexander, who I think could be a, a quality edge setting early down outside linebacker early in his career. And then in obvious passing situations, more of the passing situations, you're turning towards Chris Braswell and you're using them in that kind of platoon. I think it's very possible that Alabama can find the right combination of guys, even in the event of one injury. If you start getting two injuries, I mean, you really start to get in trouble a little bit. But I think that hopefully no one gets injured. Now, I mean, I think every Alabama fan's praying that the outside, the two main outside linebackers stay healthy and really all three. Even if one goes down and has to miss a game or has to miss some time, I think Alabama can switch some things up and and still make it work at a very high level with, with the options they have at their disposal. Absolutely. I mean, there, there'll be some versatility. Uh, you can trust them. And I do think Braswell, you know, the issue with him early in his career was, yeah, we know he's a good pass rusher, but, you know, what's he going to do against the run, uh, you know, the physicality at the point of attack. And that's what's really improved with him to the point. I think they look at him as, hey, he can play every down and we'd be great. So it's really three starters. And like you said, uh, Jeremiah Alexander is, is for a true freshman is probably going to be good right out the gate. And we think Cando Cope is a guy uh, that, that we'll see some. And, of course, Kennedy and Robinson have been around for a while. So it's a deep group uh, and every reason to be excited about the whole room. But what they have in Will and Dallas and Braswell – no one else has that. No one else has one will. No one else has a will and a Dallas. And absolutely no one's got a will, a Dallas, and a Braswell. I mean, that's how crazy good that is. And, uh, gosh, even in garbage time when all three of those guys are just on the bench and, and you're still rushing the passer with Keanu Coat and you're defending the edge with Jeremiah Alexander, uh, you know, if they come to play, uh, teams in the fourth quarter aren't going to have an easy time with that outside linebacker group either. Right. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, you lose a Will Anderson after this year, 
and don't get me wrong, it hurts because he's a generational player and and just his attitude on the field, off the field, just a phenomenal presence for your locker room. He's the complete package. He's everything that you could ever want. With that being said, so obviously there's going to be some drop off, but with that being said, next year you have Dallas Turner stepping into your number one spot and he's still as good or better than anybody, any number one spot in the country. And then you got hopefully Chris Braswell stepping up and he's becoming, you know, at the very least in those passing situations, he's the complimentary piece and he's an absolute terror and you've still got that covered. And then by that point, more than likely the Jeremiah Alexanders of the world, the Keanu Coates, um, you're starting to get those guys involved in the, in the conversation as well. And so I think Alabama's in really good shape for the next couple of years at outside linebacker. And as long as they continue to recruit the position well, then maybe that will be able to continue. But for this year, I mean, it's a special group. And I think that Alabama, from a defensive perspective, with the playmaking options they have on the back half of their defense, they got their field general on the second level in Henry Toto. You got the uh, exterior pass rush. You think you might have the interior, whether it be a Byron Young, whether it be, you know, Jamil Burroughs. I mean, you've got some run stoppers, the guys who, when they're asked to do certain things, I don't think that, you know, DJ Dell is a complete defensive lineman. I don't think he's a huge disruptor like some of the other defensive linemen that we've seen in Tuscaloosa. But what he's asked to do as far as stopping the run, control the line of scrimmage, steady player to allow some of those other guys to thrive, I think he does that at an extremely high level. I think Justin Avoyby in his limited snaps does too. So just I think Alabama has the chance to be – a historically good defense because I just think they got the right makeup and they got a veteran season defense coordinator now who's learned what he needs to do. He's seen a lot of different situations and I think each and every year he learns. So Jimmy, do you got anything else before we hop off here? No, I mean, uh, we talked today uh, as we recorded uh, about two positions that are just national championship caliber quarterback and outside linebacker. We've got the best quarterback in the country and Bryce, we have exciting depth. We got the best outside linebacker duo in, in, in college football and Will in Dallas. We have exciting depth. Uh, a great way to start the position breakdown is, is to throw out the fact that uh, it's it's the best in the country at both spots. It, it, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's why Alabama should be. I mean, veteran head coach with Nick Saban, best quarterback in the country, best guy getting after the quarterback in the country. That's a pretty good place to start as far as building a national championship caliber football team. So appreciate you hopping on here with me and taking the time. And we'll be back, I think, Thursday. We'll be back on here. We'll be talking about the wide receivers and the cornerbacks. And then next week, expect these to get shorter. We're not going to have the commitment on top of it. And it's also not going to be two at a time. It's going to be one at a time. We'll break up, you know, like a Tuesday, Thursday, one position per podcast. But for now, we appreciate you guys hanging in for as long as I think we've gone well over an hour. I hope people enjoy that. If you don't, don't worry. We'll be getting it shorter, you know, in the future. So, Jimmy, once again, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Absolutely. Once again, this is the Bama on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.